0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co host, Nick Sigelski. And today, for round two, we have the one and only Beck Holland. But this time, we're not covering prospecting. This time, we're covering all things discovery. Nick, why should people listen? There's a big difference between pains and problems. And
1: that difference impacts dramatically the way that you should be prospecting, the way that you should be running your discovery calls, the way that you should be even talking about what you do. And if you want to learn about that difference, well, good news. You can listen to this episode.
0: And a three, a two, a one. Let's go. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90 minute masterclass. And you can steal it too in the show notes.
1: All right, Beck, welcome back to the show. You remember we start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three.
2: Okay, thank you. And I'm glad to be back. Number one is there's a difference between pain and problem. Pain is any kind of negative experience. Could be on a scale of one to 10, a nine. Could be a one. Could be a 10. Could be a two. Could be egregious. Could be deafening. Could be just annoying and a problem is anything that you want to solve or solve for. So my number one takeaway is to identify the problems that your prospect doesn't know about. That is going to do you the most favors. So an example would be, you know, I solve for pipeline, and a lot of people want to pursue outbound for that. And one of the problems that I typically identify for them is on average, the highest that I've ever seen of people who request a demo who actually get a first discovery call with an AE is 22.5%. Meaning on average, typically speaking, churning 85% of their pipeline on inbound to bad process. So I go to their website, I request a demo, I chart out my journey, and I identify for them a problem that they didn't know that was occurring that's affecting their pipeline. That's takeaway number one.
1: Great. And for those wondering, on a scale of one to 10, the pain of having Armand as my co-host is probably an eight. But let's move <laughs> to number two. Back
2: <laughs> Number two. So my second takeaway is within discovery that you have three steps, essentially. The first is to uncover the prospect's self-diagnosis and you're uncovering the self-diagnosis of seven things. The problems that they want to solve, the root cause of that problem, what they think the root cause is, what they think the current impact is, what they think the future impact is, what they think the current event trigger is that made them want to buy, what they think the future event trigger that's happening in the future that's making them want to buy today and the solution. Step two is you have to build and develop your diagnosis. What's the problem that you think that they should be solving to impact the impact that they had in mind? What do you think the root cause is? What do you think the current impact is? What do you think the future impact is? What do you think the current and future event triggers are that make the problem we're solving at all? And then what you think the solution is. And then you can challenge essentially the difference in the demo stage. But the third step is to identify all of the problems that they don't know about. So those are the only three steps within discovery that you need to be uncovering. Beautiful. Round us out, Beck. What's number three? And the third one, and my heart is beating fast on this one, but if you don't know the metrics of your buyer persona, meaning the lagging indicator, the number that they're hired and fired, demoted and promoted to drive, and the leading indicators of the inputs that they would change to affect that lagging indicator, that's step one. So you need to uncover all of the metrics. If you can't right now... Without looking at your computer, name for your five buyer personas what they're metriced on, then I would go and search that out and I would view all of the problems that you solve with your product as, by definition, things, process, tools, et cetera, that prevent them from achieving a goal or achieving that metric. I would orient the entire conversation around those metrics for that buyer persona typically.
0: So Beck, you walked through this framework of figure out what their diagnosis is, figure out your diagnosis and challenge the difference. Yes. So let's say you jump onto a call. And a lot of times folks might even come with a solution already in mind. It might be our SDRs, we want to help them write better cold emails, or it might be, hey, we need a better podcast editing system, or, hey, I need to find a co-host who has a less annoying voice. I don't know where any of those three could come from. But what do you do when someone comes to the table with a solution that they think they've already found?
2: Yeah. So usually I'm going to bucket that as a self-diagnosed, self-prescribed solution. So wherever they come in at in that self-diagnosis, I'm using that to leverage to find the other six pieces and fill in the gaps. There is an opportunity cost to every question you ask. But if they say like, hey, I want sales training, I'd say, you know, can you tell me why? Can you walk me through what your team looks like today? They might say, well, yeah, our emails are really terrible. So I really want to hit some more pipeline. So my biggest questions are like, well, what's the pipeline goal? So I'm assuming that that's the problem that they're trying to solve. If they have self-diagnosed at the root cause, you know, all the questions that are coming into my mind for my diagnosis is how many emails are you sending per day? What time are you sending those emails? What do those emails look like? What's the reply rate? What's the open rate? So it's helping me build off of their self-diagnosis, my own true diagnosis.
1: You said there's an opportunity cost to every question that you ask. And the way that I understand that is if I sit there and I pepper this person with 432 questions on a 30 minute discovery call, they're going to be like, Nick, I just need sales training. Like, right. Tell me about what you can do. And so your intent is to uncover the most amount of information with the least amount of questions. You gave examples of good questions that you do ask. Could you give me an example of the inverse of like questions that I I shouldn't be
2: asking because they don't uncover enough information? The root of it is this, you know, questions can either be a withdrawal question or a value add question. You're either depositing or withdrawing. And the only type of question that is a deposit or adds value, quote unquote, to your prospect is a question that after the question, they know something about themselves that they didn't know before the question, or they're considering something in a different way. So that's one thing that I'm keeping in mind is like, if they are giving me the answer to the question, and they aren't getting any additional perspective, whenever they're answering that question, then essentially, from their perspective, they didn't win anything. If I ask how many people are on your sales team, then they can tell me 20. Or if I ask, like, what's the current impact, they can tell me what they think the current impact is, but they're not getting acquiring anything new because they're telling you information, but they're not getting anything.
0: Well, Beck, just to double down on that example, essentially what you're doing is you're acknowledging the fact that there is a thing called question fatigue. Yeah. And the problem with the way that most people do discovery is if we take the example of diagnosing SDR performance. A lot of times people will start by saying, okay, what are you using for your subject lines? How long are your emails? What do your voicemails sound like? What does your cold call opener sound like? And the problem is those are all the way at the bottom of the tree solutions, right? Right. But what you're starting with instead is you're starting with, hey, it's either a volume issue or it might be a conversion Issue, And you're asking the biggest questions. And you might find that it has nothing to do with their calls converting the wrong way or the call openers because they're not making enough calls in the first place. And that's essentially how you're deducing your way down to the real correct root cause. So let's talk about that moment where they say, I want cold email training. And you start to unpack it a little bit. And you find that their reply rates are good. Their open rates are good. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. But what you actually find is the issue is it happens to be the accounts that they're targeting entirely are wrong, for instance, right? So it's not the initial issue that you thought it was. How do you go about confronting that without making the prospect feel like you're calling their ugly baby and saying your SDRs don't know how to target the right accounts?
2: So I think the key to this is I is am uncovering within discovery. I don't challenge. I don't challenge any of their misassumptions. I don't even know if it's a misassumption yet to begin with. So within that infrastructure of a 30-minute discovery call, all I'm trying to do is uncover what their self-diagnosis is and what I believe the true self-diagnosis is. And then in the second call within a demo is when I am starting to unhinge some of those assumptions by way of presenting not that their reason for buying was invalid, but that the fact that supports that reason is incorrect. Usually, to be candid, I don't even have to spend a lot of time there. Meaning I'm just like, this is the solution based on what you're saying here. And if they bring it up, they're like, oh, it's not cold email. And I'm like, yeah, so actually when you told me blank, you know, that you thought it was a, a cold email quality, you know, whenever you, you said that your open rate was 8%, and that you're also sending it you know, at 8 a.m., there's two issues that are likely causing that. It's email deliverability, number one. If you don't have an open rate over 50 of an email deliverability problem. And number two, you're sending it, at statistically the worst time to be sending it. So like, yes, we can talk about this email quality issue, but what I find is that typically they don't even ask those questions. I've established so much expertise at that point that when I'm asking these questions in discovery to help diagnose... I'm challenging the difference in my own mind within demo, but I'm not challenging them in the room because I'm on their side. I'm truly only trying to uncover their problems.
1: As I understand it, what you're doing is step one, stop talking about the solutions. We're not talking about how great Beck's sales training is. Before you get into that conversation, when they ask you about that, you go through this whole discovery call where you're trying to figure out like what is prompting them to feel like that is the direction that they need to go? And you're asking a series of questions around this. You're not necessarily letting yourself believe that that is the correct diagnosis, but you are going through an objective analysis, uh, an understanding of where they are at present and their understanding of things at present. And as I understand it, on that call, you're actually not challenging them or pushing back or like talking about your diagnosis. You are saving that for the demo stage. And so my question for you is, it can be really tough on a discovery call to spend 30 minutes where you just ask all of these questions, and then they leave the call being like, I have no idea even around how you can help. And so how are you articulating, hey, I believe I can help with this, and you should go see a demo without bringing up the fact that like, the way that you think you're going to solve their issue isn't necessarily what they were looking for.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's one of the things that I certainly ran into as an account executive, certainly ran into as an SDR of like, they come in riled in the line because they want a prescription. You know, they want a prescription. But I challenge people of, if I were to walk in as a patient and I were to say, Armand, I want this medication. If you were the type of doctor that asked me zero questions and wrote the prescription, what would we think about you as a doctor? And like the difference is, one solution to a problem could actually be life-threatening to someone who doesn't have that problem. So when someone comes in and they're asking, like, they want to see the demo, they want to see this product, et cetera, like it is your responsibility to make sure absolutely that this is the correct problem. But also I know that their normal experience is that salespeople only have one piece of information that they don't know that the prospect wants to know. And that's price. And that's what does a demo look like? I will say on the back end, usually like after the 30 minutes, I give them like two seconds of high level. I'm like, so I know that you didn't show up just to get questions asked to you. So why don't I give you a tidbit and then we'll we'll, uh, set up a time. And I set it up on the call Mike, so it's a six session training package. You know, they're 90 minutes a piece. They all have a workshop, and then I do 30 minutes of office hours. Do you have time tomorrow, you know, at two? And they're like, Yeah. Mike, so let's set up that time. I'm going to prep a whole bunch of materials, and we're going to go into the different pieces of this training and how that's going to solve for the email problem, the cold calling problem that you're having, you know, and the objection ha- handling problem that you're having, you know, with your reps. But if you decide not to take this meeting, if nothing else, I would suggest that you start shifting the time that you're sending your emails to 3, 4, and 5 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and that you check out this email deliverability problem by going to blank, even if you don't decide to take the call with me. So they walk away knowing that I'm not being evasive, but they also are willing to jump on that second call to talk
0: about the solution. Well, it sounds like, Beck, what you're doing is, it's not like you're not giving anything. Right. You are giving in form of market and industry expertise. Correct. And that is a proxy for your ability to be trusted so that when you want to give them an actual solution to a problem that you find, that they may actually believe you. And so when you hear that their reply rates are lower, or you hear that their open rates are lower due to X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. it's not like you just keep going on. You're saying, oh, This is usually what you're going to see out in the space for open rates and reply rates, right?
2: Correct. I'm trying to give them pieces of information along the way. They'll say, yeah, so our our reply rate is abysmal. It's 3%. And I'm like, hey, can we time out here? Actually, I don't know if this makes you feel any better, but average reply rate is 0.5%. So you're not doing that badly comparatively. And they'll light up. They'll go, oh, So I think our buyers want us to know more information than them, but they're not convinced that we typically do because we don't even know what they're metriced on. So how on earth can we help them diagnose? So it's not that they don't have a recognition that they don't have expertise in this. It's that they don't believe, based on their very valid experience, that you as the seller have any expertise that they don't have and that you're willing to put down your trinkets, your watches, and your agenda that you want to just sell them crap for enough time to be able to add value to them with information that they didn't know. Well, the piece about the questions is there's a concept called the, um,
1: I learned this from the seven habits of highly effective people book. It's there's a concept called the relationship bank account where with every person in your life, you have a relationship bank account. And Armand, my wonderful co-host, if I, um, eat his lunch out of the fridge at the office. That is a withdrawal from the account. Totally. If I give him a ride home because his car got a flat tire, that's a deposit. And in the conversation, you are always making deposits or withdrawals. It is okay to occasionally make a withdrawal in the context of what you're talking about, where you have to ask them, hey, what's the sales? You know, your sales engagement platform you use? Because you do need that information. Totally. But they don't get anything from that. But it's okay to ask that. If you've given enough deposits. And so you are constantly doing things where you share information or share expertise or ask them a question that makes them think about the problem differently to earn the right to then ask some of those withdrawal questions later, or maybe go on a longer pitch or monologue later in the sales process about how your thing can really, really help. It earns you the right later in the fact. I want to focus on a very specific element of the conversation, which is... The metrics and the impact, because this is an area that I struggle. I think I understand how you're uncovering like what they think the impact is going to be related to metrics, but like sometimes I'll ask, like if you ask, well, what do you think the impact would be of this in a less cheesy way? You still sort of get like a fluffy, well, we're gonna get more leads. And so I'm wondering, how do you sort of lead the conversation around metrics and impact related to that, both on their perception of things? But then also, how are you voicing over, hey, here's what you should expect to achieve metric and impact-wise working with me? Because I'm not totally confident and comfortable in those elements of the conversation.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think one of the most paralyzing things that people don't realize about their discovery is the more and more you ask self-diagnosis questions, meaning you're begging for them to tell you what they think will happen. Number one, it's manipulative. Number two, you're broadcasting to them that you don't freaking know. And number three, they realize that like this conversation is a waste of time. If I wanted to do the mental math of how I think this is currently impacting me or how I think this will impact me in the future, I would do it on my own time. And I don't need to give you that information as the seller. Every time that you give the seller more information about your size of the problem or what you think the pain is, you're giving over power. And the power is, is that they believe that the seller can hold their price point if you need something more. So like they're fighting, like fighting back in their mind. A doctor is not geared in that way. They actually spend extremely little time talking about the prescription at all. They write the prescription. They have someone else handle that. When you're viewing it as, I just want to understand the size of the problem so that I can justify that this is worth the purchase. I think you're missing an opportunity. And the opportunity that you're missing is if I can diagnose a problem that they didn't know about that I can also solve for, I've just influenced the sale because I've not only uncovered something they didn't know, but I've increased the size of the problem that they can solve with me. Or if I diagnose a root cause that they didn't know about, I've just tacked in a root cause that they like to the size of the problem that they will be able to solve with me or to your point on impact. If I find out an impact that they didn't know about that's coming down the line, I've just increased the size of the sale because I've increased the size of the problem that they're going to avoid with going with me. So like a future impact, and this is in prognosis, not diagnosis, doctors are not only paid to identify what's going on with you, they're also paid to identify what's going to happen to you if you stay as is. So if I'm saying, what's the future impact to you, Tim? And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to eat canned. Like I should more so be asking the questions that help me understand that there's an impact coming that they didn't realize. And instead of focusing on assurance-based triggers of like, let me reassure you that this product is going to do X, Y, and Z. All I'm thinking about is diagnostic triggers of how can I quote unquote influence this sale by attacking on problems Impacts, current impacts, future impacts, future event triggers that are going to happen to them, current event triggers that are going to happen to uh, that are uh, currently happening to them that they didn't know about. So that even though they came in to solve this one problem, actually we can solve six different problems with this same solution. And so I've now increased the size of the sale, increased the likelihood that they're going to buy it, and also on a side note, increase their assurance that I'm gonna be the one that's gonna be able to solve it because of my level of expertise in the room.
0: So Beck, we've talked a lot about this flow of, you're starting with their diagnosis. You're really trying to understand if it's correct. You're adding value by overlaying your industry expertise and perspective against their diagnosis. And all of this is in the context of a discovery call where you have the ability to one, get their diagnosis, and then two, ask layering questions to further drill down into what the real problem is. Now, what's tricky is in an outbound environment, you don't, one, have a self-diagnosis, or two, know the problem that they could have. And so my guess is you're not just throwing random problems in outbound sequences and hoping one of them sticks. How do you take this same framework of identifying problems that they didn't know about and weave that into your outbound messaging?
2: from an outbound perspective, I think that the main reason of why outbound is broken at large is people are pain-based outbounding. There's a difference between attracting demand and creating demand, or attracting urgency and creating urgency. Attracting demand is this person already realizes that they have a problem and the impact's big enough to them if they don't, and i'm trying to from a marketing view blast out enough messages in the right spots to where they see it and they inbound because they know they have a problem that's big enough they just want to see if they can solve it with you your job as an SDR or as an AE is to uncover the things that they don't know that will create a a new buyer initiative and create new urgency because all of a sudden they're aware of a problem that they didn't ha- they didn't have beforehand so an example of how SDRs can do that, for example, I was, I'm working with a uh, customer support ticket company. Let's just call it that. <laughs> and they're like, how can we identify a problem for them that they don't know about? And I'm like, well, you solve the problem of customer retention dipping down, people not renewing, people not upselling or cross-selling because of their bad experience with the customer support line. I said, this is very simple go to your customer's website, pretend like in the chat that you are a current customer and document your journey of how long does it take you to get a hold of a customer success rep or get to where you need to go. Document that journey and send it over to them in an email. Hey, I go shopped you and I tried to get a hold of a customer success rep and it took me three weeks. And even then they go to me, goes to me on the line and studies will show that 80% of customers, after one bad customer experience, are not only willing to, uh, to churn from you, but churn to your competitor. But 92% of, of buyers will stay with you and give a case study if you solve their problem. I don't know if you're having a problem with customer churn, but if you give me a shot Thursday at 2, and we can uh, uncover a couple of the ideas of how you could speed this process up. So it's identifying for them a problem that they didn't know they have. But the fastest way to outbound, it is the only way to outbound, in my opinion, is to look for a problem that they have and then just present them to them in a cold email. Hey, what I learned, did you know that when I went to your website, I saw X? Did you know that when I tried to request a demo, it took me four weeks to actually get a first discovery call? Did you know that? And you document that journey. It is the fastest way to get a hold of a buyer. And like all of a sudden, people will take the meetings again because they believe that you can solve a problem for them and you have their back in the process. Boom. Well, Beck, this has been a phenomenal round two, but unfortunately, we're
1: running out of time. And so we got to move ourselves to the final question. And so the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things salespeople should be doing. Now I'm going to ask you about the inverse and ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it is hurting them far more than it helps?
2: Asking questions that's trying to lead your prospect somewhere or get them to think something is probably the most deafening. So if if you ask a question and while your prospect's answering it, you're busy thinking of your next question, you're leading them somewhere. If you ask a question and after your prospect answers, you immediately forget their answer. If you ask a question that really isn't a question at all and last nine minutes, then you're leading them somewhere. So my biggest plug would be to change your mindset to: my job as a rep is to diagnose appropriately and solve my buyer's problems. That is my metric, and so all the questions that I'm asking should be stacked not from a technique perspective. Don't worry about being human or being kind or being empathetic or all the techniques or the sales interrupts and da, 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 da. shift your agenda to that and change your questions to that. And from an outbound perspective, find the problems they don't know about. And you will be not only fine from a numbers perspective, you'll exceed them, you'll help your buyer and you'll change sales while you're doing it. Boom. Beck, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second
0: recap coming up soon. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Beck include, number one, if you don't dig into their self-diagnosis, you lose all forms of credibility. So when you hear their diagnosis, try to understand why they came to that conclusion in the first place and unpack from there, which brings us to number two. The way that you should unpack the diagnosis is starting with the questions that are most likely to knock out the most root causes first. Number three, once you drill down to the key metrics that drive their businesses, for example, open rates, reply rates. You can deposit and add value not by sharing your solution, but by sharing what the industry benchmarks for those metrics could be. And then lastly, number four, you can prospect by identifying the top two to three problems that most people don't know that they have or might most often be off of the industry benchmark, and then try to figure out where the prospect realistically lands today. All Nick, how can people help us out here? It would mean a lot to me,
1: folks, if you simply subscribed to 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. I think on Apple it's called following the show now, but hit the subscribe or follow button so you can hear Armand's beautiful voice every single week and my less than beautiful voice on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club.